<clears throat> Open your Bibles now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, I'm sort of going to preach it myself this morning, because I don't know what else to do with a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 3, because <clears throat> it's about the qualifications of a pastor. The title of this morning's message is The Qualifications of, a, of the Called Man of God. We talked about the called man of God. Now we're going to talk about his qualifications. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon his throne in his temple, the prophet also saw the two seraphim either side of the Almighty. Each seraphim had wings, six wings, one pair for flying, another to cover their feet, and a final pair to cover their faces. These seraphim rest not, but daily cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I'm reading right now a book about worship. I think it's even called Worship by A.W. Tozer. And he comments on this glorious passage of Isaiah. And by the way, he has a chapter on the seraphim. I'm going to speak on that tonight at the Lord's Supper section. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm going to talk about the supper that he talked about. And I want to tell you something. That chapter, I think it's chapter 10 of the book, is worth the whole book. Do you ever read a good book and read one chapter? One chapter is worth the rest of the book. And that is this one here. Anyway, back to the message this morning. I'm reading this book and regarding the proclamations of the seraphim, he asks, what is holiness? He answers that to be holy means to be completely morally pure. John 1.5 tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. James 1.17 tells us that with him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Lord God is moral perfection. We are not. Upon seeing the Lord, Isaiah was greatly removed, moved to exclaim, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. When God meets with man, moral purity meets with moral impurity. Perfection meets with imperfection. Though the Lord is infinitely holy, he calls us to himself, just as we are. But brethren, when we come before him, he will never leave us as we are. He does a sanctifying work. And after the prophet Isaiah received a thorough cleansing, Jehovah called him into his service. Brethren, still today, the thrice holy God is calling men and women into his service. When God calls a man, he doesn't just call any man. He calls a man that meets the requirements. And this morning again, I want to speak about the qualifications of a called man of God. First Timothy chapter 3 in your Bible is going to read the first eight verses. This is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy luger, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, 
lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. I think we'll stop at verse 7. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, please speak to our hearts. Help us see the importance of the call man of God, meaning the qualifications of the calling. Help us see the calling of God as a holy calling. Help us see things from your perspective. Lord, use your word in our hearts and our lives. Where there are lacks, where we're lacking, may we meet with God and hear from God. Lord, it caused a great stirring in our hearts. You're the only one that can. I pray you do it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing I want to share with you, and I'm sort of going to divide up the characteristics a bit, so we're not going to go methodically as we often do through the scriptures. I'm going to pick out different qualifications from this, these seven verses. The first thing I want to share with you, number one, the man of God must be holy in his character. By the way, when the Bible starts off, if a bishop, if any man desire the office of a bishop, the bishop, the elder, and the pastor, it's all the same person, all the same position. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and verse 28, let us know that. And we don't have the time to deal with that this morning, but I will mention this. This bishop, this pastor, must be holy in his character. Now that means being holy in his reputation. A holy reputation requires being blameless. Look at verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. Blameless means inculpable, not caught. Now it's not that he's doing it and he's not getting caught. I think that's the idea. That's not the idea behind it. It means not guilty of vices not, or of public offenses, not guilty of crimes or public disorder, as one commentator put it. A blameless man is one who does not have a bad reputation, but instead he has a good testimony. What people think about us does make a difference. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 6, 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. That's a very good way to live, isn't it? A holy reputation means being blameless, but it also means having a good report. Look at verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Let's finish the verse there. Lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. A good report means that no charge of extreme doctrines or false doctrines can be successfully alleged against him, according to Barnes. A good report means no charge of immorality can be proven. How can a man preach one thing from the pulpit and lead a different life away from the pulpit? That is not a man who's called of God to preach. He's not a man who's qualified to preach. Unbelievers in the community need to see his consistency. You with me here this morning? Otherwise, they'll become critical of him. The Bible says in verse 7, he'll fall into reproach. And that's when they become critical of him. And that is the snare of the devil and stops unbelievers coming to Christ. It's so important that the name of the church is held in high esteem in the community. Would you agree with that? I've been asked to get involved on a 
board level in a protest against undocumented refugees coming up beside us in, in Crooks Lane. Now what they want to do is silently, quickly bring them in and undercover at night. And then when people have to do things silently and quietly and undercover, there's something wrong. Would you agree with that? And when certain uh, people who are very, uh, poor, have very poor reputation uh, for, and, and, and they have the reputation of being, uh, let's just put it this way, uh, traffickers of human beings, uh, if they have that reputation and they're being used, there's something not right there. So I've been asked to be involved in this, but one of the men of another board I'm involved in, in Lucan, said to me, tread very, very carefully. And I'm listening. I heard what he said. Because I don't want my reputation ruined in the community because the reputation of our church is really, really important. Would you agree with that this morning? We have to be very careful. So I ask you to pray for me as I make decisions because I don't want to make decisions lightly. Are you with me here this morning? Those things are really important because the pastor must have good report in the community. We want nothing to hurt the gospel ministry in our area because once people form their opinions, it's very hard to change people's opinions, isn't it? Holy in character means holy in reputation. But it also means holy in temperament. Look in, at verse 2. The Bible says, <clears throat> verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober. The word sober from the Greek sophron means serious. He's serious when it comes to the things of God. My father-in-law used to say to me, don't take yourself too seriously. Now, having the Irish sense of humor, you don't tend to take yourself too seriously. But you know what? We don't want to take ourselves too seriously, but we want to take the Word of God very seriously. Would you agree with that? When it comes to the Word of God, we get very serious. We can have a laugh. We can joke around with each other. But when it comes to God, we get serious. I can even throw illustrations of sport in there, in, 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 in there if you don't mind. But when it comes to the Bible, we get very, very serious. Another aspect of being sober is the obvious. Not given to wine, not drinking. He avoids non-medicinal consumption of alcohol. You know what I'm saying? If it's not for medicine, he doesn't need to be drinking it. Verse 3 reminds me he's not given to wine. A preacher once said this, I'd rather have a frontal lobotomy than a bottle in front of me. <laughs> I'd rather have a frontal lobotomy than a bottle in front of me. That's someone who's not given the wine, amen? That's someone who takes his, his... Now, I don't want a frontal lobotomy. I need every bit of my brain I can keep. But I want to tell you something. I'd rather that than a bottle in front of me because I want to maintain my testimony as a Christian and as, a man, as God's man. A man with a holy temperament is sober, but he's also of good behavior. Look at verse 2. He, he, the Bible says, Bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. He is modest. Man, I'm going through this stuff and I'm getting convicted here. He's manly. To work on these things, does not draw attention to himself. He is courteous, polite, demonstrating dignity, affable. A gentleman. One of our kids said that one of the MKs, I won't even mention the MK, a mission, MK's missionary kid, missionary friends of ours, has taught him about being a gentleman. And uh, so when we see him again, <laughs> I'm gonna remind him of what he learned. You know, brethren, it's easy not to be a gentleman, 
But 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18 tells us that David was a mighty, valiant man of war. We like that manliness. I was out there chopping wood because uh, we ran out of wood. Firewood. Chopping up firewood and letting it dry out there. And uh, my wife came in. She said, I, I came into my wife. She said, I love you chopping wood. I said, I was doing it because John's, had, you know, has his thing, his parts removed from his body, which called uh, appendectomy, you know? So he's not able to chop wood, but next week he will. No, but anyway, then. So I said, I have to do it. My wife says, well, I love you getting out there just chopping wood because it's manly. And I said, well, I don't mind delegating to my son. Listen, I don't mind chopping wood. I really don't. But look all the things to be doing. It is fun to do a bit of physical exercise, isn't it? David was a man of war. It's not that I want to go chasing people with an axe. Don't misunderstand me. Because then I'd be disqualified from ministry from other points of view, if you, would, if you get the point. But this is it. David was mighty. He was valiant. He was a man of war. But he was also prudent in matters, wasn't he? He was a comely person. And the Lord was with him. David was a gentleman. A man with a holy temperament is of sober, he's of good behavior, he's no striker or brawler. Look at verse 3. It says here, not given to wine, no striker, no, not greedy, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler. So, no striker, not a brawler. Some people just love to quarrel. Some people are always looking for a fight. And you know, people use social media to get their boxing gloves on, don't they? You know, one thing I used to, I used to get involved, I don't know if any of you do this, I used to get involved in texting wars with people. And I just remember some of the battles I had with people with emails, and I look back and I laugh. And then I, I got involved in this email war with a certain individual. I won't go into the details. And you personally, I don't know if anybody in this room knows this individual. Actually, I know some of you may, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to skip past this. Uh, has never been in attendance in this church ever, okay? But let me just say, this individual I got involved in an email war with. But I couldn't win. Because I like bullet points, just get to the point. But this individual would have this like 50-page document with it with preamble and main points and findings and recommendations and an appendix at the end of it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, give me a break. I can't keep up with this. And I was finally I said, I'm not even reading your email. Let's meet. You know what I'm saying? Why did I say that? I have no idea. Oh yeah, some people love to fight. And they will, and, and I had some people, and these are even friends of mine, and, and, and they say, I have to email because it's how I get my thoughts together. But again, another person with these very long emails. And I just said to him, I don't read your emails. It's too much. I don't have the time. If you want to stand in front of me and read your email in front of me, fine. But let's have a, talk, have a chat. Some people just love to quarrel. Are you with me here? Not the qualification of a preacher. Leave it to them if they want to quarrel. quarrel. But they're not fit for the Lord's ministry if, they, if people are quarreling. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible, that's what the Bible says, not a fighter, not a scrapper, not, not, not a brawler, no striker. Okay, I know that's the fisticuffs coming up, but none of that. A man with a holy temperament is patient, and you know, patience keeps you out of scraps. You hear that, children? Sometimes our children aren't patient, and they start fighting with each other. You hear that, adults? Sometimes we as adults aren't patient. When we get into arguments with each other, you with me here this morning. I think we all could learn a bit of patience. May God help us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 
That means, so this holiness in character means holy in his reputation, holy in his temperament, and then one of my favorites, holy in his home. Look at verse 3 this morning. Actually, look at verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. A holy man in the home is a husband of one wife. Now, there's debate on what that means, the husband of one wife. Some would say one wife at a time. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. They're nuts. I don't agree with it. Okay. Anyway, I would just say um, husbands, uh, wives are for life, not trouble and strife, okay? It's meant to be for life. But let me just say this. The term literally means a one-woman man, and that's the whole tenor of Scripture regarding marriage. The Bible teaches that marriage is a unity of one husband and one wife, a biological male and a biological female, just as anybody is wondering what the Bible is talking about. And it's in the sight of God, Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. It's that unity there, okay? So to think about, you can be at home with somebody and, and not be divorced, but you're practically divorced. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not somebody who's qualified to be a preacher. The Bible teaches that marriage is for life. Matthew 9, verse 19, verse 6. What therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. The divorce and remarriage does not fit the husband of a one-wife model. Now let me make this statement. Divorce and remarriage is part of life. It's heartbreaking. My family members experience it, and I'm sure everyone in here, maybe I'm not sure, but it's very possible that everyone in here has family members who have been divorced and remarried, or, or even divorced, whatever the situation may be. I think we can all agree it's not God's will, but it happens. Now let me just say this as well. When people get divorced, they're not lepers. Some people say, well, it's meant to be for life, and then they're treated like lepers. That's wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're precious people, and these things happen in life, and it's wrong, but it happens, we get it. But when we're talking about a pastor, it's a different situation. Are you with me here this morning? This is a very different situation. Leviticus 21, verse 10 to 14, teaches that the high priest was not allowed to marry a divorcee because the holy anointing oil was upon him. It's not that divorcees were to be treated any differently to anyone else, but the, but the person with the anointed oil, anointing oil had a high and holy calling, and he had to act in that way. You with me here this morning? He had a very holy re reputation that he had to protect. And I would submit to you this morning that a husband of one wife is someone who guards his reputation in the area of marriage. Does that make sense? Is a holy man in his home has one wife, but he also rules his house well. And again, you can have people who have remarried and they have this wonderful home because they they've taken care of their kids. You have people who've been on the same marriage for 50 years or whatever the situation may be, and they don't rule their children well. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the, the, the minister of God needs to rule his children well. Look at verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. The Bible tells us how. According to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the woman of the home is responsible uh, for the child bearing, the child rearing, the child training, but dad is the head of the home. Now, we live in a world that is completely contrary to the scriptures. Are you with me here this morning? 
The world we live in wants the woman out of the home, and this referendum that's coming up in a couple of weeks wants the woman out of the home and doesn't want to protect the woman in the home, and that's what it's about. It's not about giving rights. What rights do they need? I mean, how is it going to affect the, the everyday woman? Not in any way, apart from us removing protection for those who actually want to stay in the home. That's a problem. You will here this morning. So there's, there's, there's really big problems with this referendum uh, issue that's coming up. But let me just say this. The Bible wants the woman in the home because the woman is the person who's meant to raise the child and train the child while dad's out there bringing in the, the, the bacon. You with me here? I'm talking about in, in, in the functional home. You with me here? That's the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> but dad oftentimes is very busy working hard, sometimes working two jobs to make ends meet. You with me here? So, if, but dad is still the head of the home. And that's why his children need to be in subjection to him, because he's still the head of the home. And if, if somebody is in a situation where he's not the head of his home and not leading his home, he's not qualified to be God's man. He was here this morning. He's not qualified. I have known several men, and I'm sure many of you have known several men, fantastic Bible teachers. I couldn't touch them with their Bible teaching. They're so amazing. Tremendous preachers. They, they take you all the way through a passage and you're riveted to it. And, and these preachers, they can preach for an hour and you're like, where did the time go? Now, I know I'm not like that because people have told me, you know, could you stick at the 40 minutes? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but I, my point is, but they'll preach for an hour and you, you wonder where the time goes. Now, when they go an hour and 15 minutes, and I'm saying, could you show them the message a little bit? But you know, but the point is, but they can be tremendous with the Bible. But the children, they lost the plot. Brethren, I'm here to say to you this morning, that disqualifies a man from the pastorate. As verse 5 puts it, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The man of God must be first proven in his home. The man of God must be holy in his character. But number two, and I want you to, 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 to follow me with this. You get, the, you get the character bit. We all get the character bit. But I need you to follow me with this and help me with this. The man of God must be protective of the flock. And can I say to you this morning, the congregation needs to allow the pastor to protect the flock. Can we all say that together? Can we all say that together? The congregation needs to allow the pastor to protect the flock. That's really important. The protective man of God is vigilant. Look at verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant. A vig You've seen cats. I mean, I have a cat. I like cats. I like cats. Well, certain cats. You like Stim Stem J Ginger. I can say his word right. And I like Stripes. I call him Fluff sometimes because I get all the animals mixed up. I call John Stripes. I call Hannah Fluffball. I, everybody gets mixed up. I barely get my wife's right, my name right. My head's all over the place. But I like Stripes. But when Stripes, he's a bit cheeky, you know? When, 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 when Fluffball, Ruby the dog, is out the front, Stripes comes around and will come up to, uh, to, to, to Ruby and just walk up and go, whack! And whack him across the head. It's terrible funny to look at. But I don't think, Ruby thinks it's very funny. Stripes is just protective of his territory. So we've had to, Stripes was, when, when, when Ruby was away somewhere, doing something. Oh yeah, 
he was away with friends, business, business mates, our missionary friends. Anyway, so we allowed Stripe, when, when Ruby was away, Stripes, we allowed Stripes into the home. Big mistake. Because once you allow Stripes into the home, then he doesn't want to leave. So Ruby goes back to the home again, and Stripes was like, I'm coming in here. I'm walking there, get back. And Stripes was giving Ruby even harder time. So Stripes is walking around his territory, you know, Lord of the Manor, and you see something going on, and Stripes gets very vigilant. Cats are vigilant, aren't they? Vigilant means on guard. He's on guard, wondering where Ruby is. The pastor, the bishop, the overseer, the shepherd of the Lord's flock has a God-given responsibility to be vigilant. On guard, watching out, for the flock. Now, can I say something here? We've had a few people leave Gospel Baptist Church recently. I know it's very sad to see them go, and I thank God they left the right way. Amen? It's important to leave church the right way. But we've had people in the past, in the distant past, several years ago, who didn't come the right way, who didn't leave the right way, who did a lot of, tr gave, caused a lot of trouble one day while they were here, and were hurting the flock, gossiping, backbiting, doing all sorts of things that they shouldn't be doing. And to be honest with you, when they move on, you say, praise the Lord. Are you with me here this morning? You say, that's cruel. No, it's being vigilant. And I need you as, as precious flock to allow me to be vigilant. To allow me to see if people are coming in. Folks, I got an email yesterday from a preacher in Selbridge, and a very, or actually it was a text from a preacher in Selbridge with, with a photograph of a, of, of a lady with a criminal record who's doing the rounds around the churches. And I thank God that he was vigilant and contacted me to let me know, beware of this person. This person wants to come in and do damage to the flock. Not everybody is innocent. Not everybody is nice. Not everybody's like you. Now, we want to give everybody a fair chance. Would you agree with that? But if somebody has proven themselves to be not trustworthy, the leopards doesn't change their spots. Be vigilant. And allow me to be vigilant and allow me to protect the flock. Because some people really do go around with, like wolves in sheep's clothing. You with me here this morning? And they're trying to change you or they're trying to change the church or they're trying to take money from you. And that's what this latest one was. It's a scammer. Looking to take money out of your pockets. Let's be vigilant. Allow the preacher to be vigilant. The protective man of God is vigilant. The protective man of God is also able to instruct. Look at verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, able to teach, able to instruct, able to get the truth of this book into your heads and into your hearts, okay? Now, folks, I need lots of prayer. Honestly. <clears throat> I can stand up and say stuff, and I know people are looking at me, and, and sometimes people are looking at you, you know, like, I'm trying to look at them just to be polite, <laughs> I don't know. But it's one thing getting an information into your head, it's a very different thing getting it into your heart. Are you with me here? That's a skill. And God, I need your help. I need your help, I need you to pray for me, and people are praying for me, I really appreciate this. One preacher put it this, or one congregant put it this way, preacher, can you take the cookie, gar, the cookie jar and put it in where the children didn't get out? I thought that was a really good way of putting that, but using the illustration of, can you just give us the truth where we can read, where, where, where we can understand it? Brethren, we need to be children of the book. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it. We need to become skilled at applying scripture. Are you with me here this morning? Apt 
to teach. We've got to, we've got to understand this book and understand how it works. We need to be able to find biblical solutions to life's problems. Everyone in this room has life problems. We need to know how to apply the scriptures. We all need counseling. Are you with me here this morning? We need to know how the word of God can apply to our lives. Apt to teach. That's really important. Some people are really good at it. Some are better than others. We need to be able to apply Bible truths to our lives so we can work through deep hurts, so we can walk in victory. Brethren, if you're not living a life filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you need to find out how to get there. And that ministry has got to be done through the Word of God. Are you with me here this morning? Do you agree with me? Amen. It's really important we learn how to do these things. I need your prayers. I need your help. I'm really glad for those who pray for me while I'm preparing the sermon. And I'm really glad for people who pray for me while I'm preaching the sermon. I need your help. Because we work with the Holy Spirit together. Amen? Amen. It needs to be done. So the protective man of God is vigilant. He's able to instruct. But he's also proven by experience. I love this. Look at verse 6. Not a novice. What's a novice mean? A novice is someone who's newly planted. Okay? Newly planted. That's literally what it means. He's someone who's not proven. Now let me ask you a question. If you're learning to drive, would you want a driving instructor who just has a, who was an L plate on his own car? <laughs> you say, and he says, and the driving instructor says, just give me 50 quid a lesson and we'll both learn together as we go along. You say, where did you learn how to drive? I watch it on YouTube. Now, would you like someone to stand up and give a sermon and say, I got my, I got my outline from the Bible from, uh, on the, from the internet. Now, I'm not saying there's not good stuff in the internet. I'm not saying that at all. But if, if the man of God is trying to bring the word of God and the only resource he has is the internet, that's not any good. Would you agree with that? The man of God has to be proven. Now, can I just say this? Proven does not mean that he's, he, he has been through Bible school. You can have someone with four years of Bible education, and I'm glad he has a degree in Bible education, but he's not proven. You've got to know how to use it. Like, would you want someone operating on you, John, with your appendix, and he says, you know, I've just been through medical school, and I've been through all the schooling, and John says, but have you ever performed an appendectomy? He says, no, first time. <laughs> I'm going to knock you out, and we see how it goes from there. Would you be happy about that, John? No. No. But you've got to begin somewhere. Not on me. <laughs> Brethren, I just want to say this. You don't want someone pastoring a church who's got no pastoral experience. If, an apprentice, if a journeyman needs to be, be an apprentice under a seasoned carpenter or a seasoned plumber or a seasoned electrician, should not the, the, the prospective preacher have experience under an older pastor? Amen. That's the way it should be. It's not always that way, can I say that? Years ago, I was at the ordination of a, a young man, and, he, and he's a promising young man. But I noticed one thing that concerned me, and I talked to Brother Zemeski about it, you know, because he was actually at the ordination as well, and we both came to the same conclusion. And he said this, it concerned us that whenever the young man was asked a difficult question, his pastor would always answer the question. Now, I'm telling you, when I got ordained, I was drilled. But I was a young fool, if I could put it that way. 
Because I was like, bring it on, you know? <laughs> Three hours of rhythm, bring it on. I, just, I thought it was exciting, you know what I'm saying? And the reason why I thought it was exciting is because if I failed, then I know what I need to work on. And if I succeeded, then I was ready. Do you understand what I'm saying? An ordination is a council where you're challenged and tested, and, and uh, there should be, every question should be on the table. Do you understand? Because you want to know that that person that's been grilled can defend himself. Because if he can't defend himself in front of the preachers, he's definitely not going to defend himself when other people come in and try to sway his doctrine. You with me here this morning? Unfortunately for that young man, he did start off in the ministry, but he didn't last. And today, I don't even think he goes to church. And I think that's tragic. The Bible says, lay hands on no man, suddenly people need to be proven. Ministers of God must fight roaring lions, and like Paul, fight with wild beasts of Ephesus. But he cannot engage with these battles without proper experience. I'll tell you how to identify a proven man. The Bible tells us, in verse 6, we're going to look at the opposite. Not an office, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The proven man is humbled. I didn't say humble. I said humbled. Because failure, a feeling of inadequacy, a feeling of, I can't do this without God because I keep failing. And a feeling of, how will I ever reach my goals unless God steps in? It humbles you. you. You know what I'm saying? There's a dependence that comes with, with a man who's more seasoned. And that's why that man will be humbled. That's how you know that man has been proven. He's been humbled by his experience in the ministry. The ministry has no place for arrogant preachers. You with me here this morning? There's no place for it. The man of God must be holy in character. He must be <coughs> protective. But finally, the man of God must be transparent with the flock. Look at verse 2. He must be transparent with his life and home. Verse 2 says here, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Given to hospitality means fond of guests. Albert Barnes called it the duty of religion. It was customary back then when people would pass through that in, in the Eastern culture they would accept them into their home and they'd feed them and all that type of stuff and wash their feet and take care of their animals, etc., etc. And it was the man of God who was to exemplify that love for others. However, here's the other side of it. When people come into your home, they get to see what you're really like. As C.S. Lewis said, come live with me and you'll know me. Did C.S. Lewis really say that? Remember last week's message? I actually think he did, because I, I, I did fact check that one, okay? C.S. Lewis said, come live with me and you'll know me. When your home is open and your life is open, people have more opportunity to see what's in there. They have more opportunity to see your faith. They have more opportunity to see if your, faith, your life is real. And they have more opportunity to see Christ in your life. Brethren, when people look at your life, let them see Jesus Christ. Can you hear an amen for that? That's what it's like to be transparent. Transparent in his life and home, but also he needs to be transparent with his finances. Verse 3, not given to wine, no striker, striker no, not greedy of filthy lucre, not greedy, but patient, not a brother, not covetous. So he's not to be greedy or covetous. Now transparency does not mean that, that the preacher needs to put 
out publicly, this is my earnings, this, you know, etc., and, and lay out his finances. Everybody has their own business. If he wants to share that, that's up to him, but if he doesn't want to share it, that's up to him as well, okay? But years ago, when I was in the States, there was this preacher, and he was needing to earn some extra money, he felt, on the side, because his retirement wasn't enough. And so I asked him publicly in front of a few people, I, I said, uh, so when you've taken that trip, and it was to, to earn some extra cash, whatever, and he said, who told you that? Shh, shh, who told you that? You did. <laughs> oh, I did. And I realized then he wasn't being transparent in front of his people. Now, was there anything wrong intrinsically in what he was doing? Absolutely not. But there should be a transparency there. There should never be hiding something. Brethren, that's convicting for me, and maybe it's convicting for you about being transparent and not trying to hide stuff. It's not like people need to know your business, but at the other side, we should be trying to hide it because that gives us a sense of it might be wrong. Do you understand? And I don't think what he was doing was wrong, but I do feel he should, and I think he, we both, he and I would agree, he shouldn't be trying to hide it. Say it. If you need extra money for your time, tell your people what you're doing. Be honest. Don't, don't hide it. So on that note, I want to tell you about a need we have. We have a need for two cars. Both cars failed the NCT, and uh, so we need to get two vehicles. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God will help us to find two reliable cars, a reliable car for me, reliable car for Jenny, and yet let God get all the glory. We want to see God provide. Because the thing is, and here's the issue of transparency. Transparency says, you know, we have a need, but our God can meet that need. Let's watch and see what God can do. And when we're transparent with each other, it builds each other's faith. You with me here? And when we can build each other's faith, then we can realize God can be trusted when we have need. Let us learn to trust God together. So before you think that this message was just for me, and it sort of is, in a sense, I want to correct you this morning and say, really, it isn't. Look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And then it goes on with the qualifications. Brethren, these are the qualifications of someone who desires the office. In other words, the person that desires the office should be already manifesting these areas, these godly traits in their lives. Are you with me here this morning? In other words, it's the people in the pew that should have these godly traits in their, in, in their lives. If anyone desires pastoral work, or any form of ministry, really, there should be godliness demonstrated in their lives. Would you agree with that? He must be holy in character. It means morally pure in reputation, in temperament, in the home. Holiness begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you this morning, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to make you more and more holy, isn't he? Why? Because he's holy. Is, does your relationship with Jesus Christ reflect the nature of Jesus Christ? It should do. He must be holy in character. He must be protective. Do you feel it's your duty to protect others? Are you your brother's keeper? Now remember the person who said, I'm not, am I my brother's keeper, who asked that question? That was, that was uh, Cain, wasn't that? Not a good guy, okay? 
So by implication, the answer is yes, you are your brother's keeper. And I encourage you to have a protective attitude over your church, over your family, over Christians who are being maligned for the wrong reasons. Do you understand what I'm saying? Being protective. Being protective over the doctrine of the word of God. Don't let people speak evil of pure doctrines. You, you with me here? Be protective. Are you protective? You instruct others in the ways of the Lord. Shouldn't you instruct people in the ways of the Lord? He is holy in character, he's protective, but he's also transparent. Let me ask you finally that question. Do you have secret sins that you hide from others? Sins that are hurting you? Sins that are tearing you down? Are you secretly, are you secretly struggling? Are the walls of your spiritual protection being brought low by what you're going through? Gotta be transparent. I think we all struggle with being transparent, don't we? I think the reason why we struggle with being transparent is we're afraid how people are gonna respond. But all I can say is when people are hurting, they need help. Would you agree with that? And hurting people need to go to people who they can trust. People who won't shove it back in their faces. People that won't use that against them. People who all they want to do is help, even if they get nothing back themselves at the end of it. In fact, to be honest with you, that's probably the best way to help people. It's just nothing in it for you, because then it's genuine, isn't it? We've got to be transparent. I found out um, from my neighbor yesterday the practical definition of a sleeve. We were having a coffee, and he said, You know, this fellow's a sleeve. And I'll, I'll tell you this. My friend, my neighbor, was going on a walk, the Camino walk, you know? And uh, he, he said, there was this fellow that came up to me. He said, within five minutes, he knew everything about me. But I knew nothing about him. He said, that's a shleevy. <laughs> Thought that was interesting. But I would just say this, I don't know anything about this guy he was talking about, but other people on the walk had the exact same experience with this fellow. Whoever he is, I know nothing about him. But let me say this, rather than being a shleevy, there's no H in there, it just sounds good. Rather than being a shleevy, we should be transparent. Because transparency in relationships builds relationships. And you know, years ago, I struggled to be transparent because I had my own hurts. From the divorce background of my parents, I had a lot of baggage I was carrying. And the bitterness and all that type of stuff was with me. And I read a book, and it was called Real Change, it was called Inside Out, and the, whole, the full title of the book was Real change is possible when you heal from the inside out. And so God wants to work on our insides first before he can work on our outside. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that really helped me. And brethren, when God works on your insides first, it's a whole lot easier to become transparent with others because you're not hurting every time you feel like you need to say something that you really need to say. You're not afraid of their responses because God has healed your Maybe there's people here this, this morning and you're saying, you know what? I would like to be holy in character. I'd like to be protective. I'm hurting. Well, if you're hurting, I tell you, there's one person who can heal. His name is Jesus. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. God used that verse 
in my life to counsel me through the darkest days of my life. I thank God that his Holy Spirit and the Son of God can be our counselor and can help us through our hurts and pains and bring us through to the other side. Do you with me here this morning? The man of God must have a Christian life that is holy, protective, and transparent. But what about you? Is yours that? Let's go to a little prayer.